Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Julie, it's so great to have you here and to tap into all of your wealth of expertise. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be one of your first guests post-vacation. I try to make it painless. <laughs> Why, well, I, I thank you. You know, your your latest your latest article, it was um we caught up with it at the New York Post. Everybody can check it out, but talking about entitled Gen Zers and how they're a difficult generation in the workplace and you're talking about a poll. So, as you look to you you have people come to you for your expertise people who I'm assuming have a have an incredible work ethic and and they want to work more and they want to work longer but now you're reporting on a generation that is a little more entitled maybe doesn't share the same work ethic that other generations have you know it it is a big hairy problem <laughs> that doesn't have just one solution i think that we are seeing the results of participation trophy parenting Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it, when you think about, you know, with those of us who are older have watched the way that you know, this, this generation was raised in a lot of cases and not all. And so I, I'm always really careful not to paint too broad a brush. But this you think you would think that I think the thought was that participation trophies and I'll just use that term um, built confidence. Yet what we're seeing with Gen Z in the workplace they are so afraid of making a mistake that it's leading to their anxiety. And it's, it's, I think it's all interconnected, but they're afraid to step out and make a mistake. They're afraid of failing because they don't have the confidence that comes from failing along the way as you grow up. And so that's why we're seeing a lot of anxiety, a lot of unwillingness to jump in. I was just having a conversation 10 minutes ago with a friend whose son just graduated from college Friday. And he's, we, I asked him what he wants to do. And he said, he's so afraid of making a mistake and failing that he just wants to play video games. I'm like, oh, that's heartbreaking. Because yeah. we all know, those of us at a certain age know, that your failures or the, where the, even just calling them missteps or times you think, that you look back and cringe or I could have done better, et cetera. Those are where the greatest amounts of learning are. You mentioned, you know, the term participation trophies, and I think you nailed it in part. Obviously there, this is a multi-pronged, you know, it's it's a study that you're looking at a poll. We can look at a lot of different reasons for this, but I do think that that whole 
participation trophy thing that didn't did not exist before is a huge problem here. And I just talked about where we were in Iowa. We made our you know yearly family vacation, the trip, driving to Iowa across the country. Both of our sons went. Only one son is is involved in this. But you think about it, all these kids, you know, they only, they give out a gold, you know, they give out the silver, they give out the bronze, and everybody else who made it to nationals has worked very hard. They go home with um, saying, hey, good good for you, you made it to nationals. Hopefully you at least match your, your PR. But other than that, there's no, there's, if it's not, if you don't get the gold or the silver or the bronze, you're not going home with a medal. And I think that's so important. That's one of the few places where they actually honor that tradition of the fact that there are three top scores, three winners. Everybody else, you just go home with the fact that uh, you had the privilege of competing. Yeah, and and it's it's you know another significant factor. And unfortunately, we're still seeing this is parents being over involved, yeah. and so. I, I was just, in fact, just reading some stuff recently that, and this has been going on for, for unfortunately, way too many years, but parents calling the university, wanting a copy of their kids' schedules, mm-hmm. um, parents calling companies or the organization or a, a, even a summer internship to find out why their, why their kids aren't getting the shifts they want. And so we have made them incapable of advocating for themselves. And I saw this thing, it's like, I think it was an app or a startup out of Japan where you can pay them X dollars, it's not a lot, to quit your job for you. And so <laughs> That's we're pretty outsourcing. Funny. Um, um, yeah, so we're even outsourcing the, the, the stuff that requires face-to-face conversation and uh, the hand the, there's a platform called handshake that they connect college students with jobs and they put out a report that said one of the most searched for phrases that students use when they look for a job is jobs where I don't have to talk to anybody that's scary so it just is. and so they are ill-prepared but guess what that's our. That's the workforce of the future. You know, by twenty thirty, I think thirty percent of the workforce is going to be Gen Z. Yeah. So when we look at Gen Z, for example, this is the generation born between nineteen ninety seven and twenty twelve. So about nine ish to twenty four years old. Sixty eight million Americans. My two sons are in this group because they're teenagers. Um, but I've raised my kids differently than I think what we're seeing and and you can see the results to me it's it's more about parenting julie than it, it is. is about the generation the kids i mean kids are kids it's it's proof that parenting matters oh so much and you know as a working mother i used to tell my boys you know i used to look at them and say okay <laughs> i'm raising someone's future husband and someone's future father and what can i do now to prep for that. And so even though I worked full time, I said, look, you're my top priority, but you're not my only priority. Mm-hmm. And I never let them. I mean, I just thought I, I got it. You don't just wake up when you're 22 and know how to do the stuff that makes you a responsible, competent adult. It comes by it comes through, um, you know, all the everyday stuff about parenting. You know, and, and, 
yeah, it's it's not everything, but it's it's a good part of it. And I think we parents have overcorrected, and maybe with we had absent parents. I mean, I I I feel like you know I'm a boomer, and my you know, my parents were a little bit absent emotionally, and I think we've overcorrected to the point that we're so involved that we're calling our kids our best friends. We're mm-hmm. when they go to college, we want to stay on Life 365 so we know where they are <laughs> all the time. And you are crippling your kids. And when they have a problem at work, you call their boss. This happens. As shocking as it is to imagine, I don't think you would do that and I wouldn't do that. As shocking as it is to imagine that someone would do that, it happens all the time. (laughs) And employers and universities have to deal with these parents when they should be focusing on helping your kid prepare for life as an adult. Yeah. I have to confess Initially, when my son, who's 16, um, came to high school, right, and the football coaches say, <clears throat> you will communicate with us, not your parents. And so if you're going to miss practice or you've got a doctor's appointment, whatever you've got. And so at first I was like, what? They don't want. But it was then I understood when the coaches explained it that they want to make the football players themselves accountable. If they're going to miss a class due to a game or leaving early or if something's going on, they have to miss practice. They have to treat that as you would a job and treat that coach with respect to communicate to them, forcing exactly what you're talking about, Julie, to say, treat us as an employer and you got to communicate with us. You've got to explain these things. So at first I pushed back on it because I just was, was not used to, you know, a coach or teacher. Usually they go through the parents when your kids are younger. But I, I loved, I love it now that they encourage that and to say, you have to write a professional email, email in advance your coach, let them know why you can't make practice or et cetera. You're not going to ride on the bus. You're going to ride with your parents, you know, whatever to the game. But I thought that that was great. And I, I take it back to sports because I think in many ways, sports or any competitions, uh, speech and debate or the arts, theater, anything that a student is involved with as they get into high school and maybe even eighth grade, if they if they understand that what they're doing, that's their job, and they treat it as such, it does prepare them for the world. But we're not doing that, clearly. And then I know that in your article you talked about the pandemic because a lot of these, especially teenagers, let's say, or even college kids, they they had at least four school years that were impacted, depending yeah. on where you lived. I mean, here in Philadelphia, we were still dealing with I mean, after four school years, we were still dealing with masks and and some Zoom kind of learning, even in the fourth school year. And and so that certainly impacts students and young people. Yeah, it's interesting. As, so, so one of the things that we're seeing is as people go back to work, as organizations are really driving this, you need to be inside the four walls at least part of the time. What employers are recognizing is that there was a real, there's a real lack of sort of core workplace skills, etiquette, soft skills, et cetera. And it's, it's, you have Gen Z who have, as you said, they maybe did the last part of college and even their internships remotely. Mm-hmm. And then what they also found in, in the studies of like what these, what these organizations are dealing with is that even older people who grew up in a workplace got rusty 
in terms of how to operate and navigate a workplace effectively. But Gen Z is practically feral because they never had to. And the ripple effect of that in terms of their ability to do the work on their desk, some of the basic stuff even, getting along with your coworkers, don't clip your toenails on your desk, you know, any of that stuff. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, is is completely lacking. And it's just, so what's happening is employers are having to go back and almost reskill at a at a shockingly basic level, which is not the thing they want to be doing. They have customers to serve. Yeah, now all these companies are looking at workplace studies like this. I mean, you, you I know, Julie, you are right in the thick of it with looking at big corporations like here in Philadelphia, Comcast. So they have been negotiating with employees who were zooming it in and then within the past year said, well, you have to, you have to come in at least three days a week. People push back and now starting this fall in September, they want employees to come back in person four days a week. So we'll see mm-hmm. how that goes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of employees of all different generations are pushing back on it. They don't want to yeah. drive in. They don't want to drive into a city. Right. And it, it is hybrid work is here to stay. There's just no doubt about it. But what form it will take, it will take a different form in each company and in each industry and profession because businesses are all different. I mean, you think of like a physical therapist. They've never been able to do hybrid. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so there are some, there, there are professions that lend themselves to being able to be wildly effective doing that. And there's ones that don't, but we're going to see complete back in the office is going to be those folks who are fully committed to that are going to have a very, very, very hard time attracting and retaining the talent they need to grow their business. And that's just the way it's going to be moving forward. And so we have to be able to kind of split the baby a little bit and say, how do we stay, how do our people stay engaged? How do we keep them involved? How do we make sure they've got the skills they need to succeed? And how do we do that in a world where, where they, they are, they are at home or in a coffee shop a couple days a week? But the bottom line, as I tell everybody when we talk about this is, are they getting their work done? Are they being productive? And you get to decide as an organization what that looks like. What does productivity look like? Of course, it's hard data, it's results, but it's also what else does top-level performance look like in each of your jobs? And once you articulate that as an organization, then you can step back and say, okay, this is what we need to have done in order to hit our numbers, et cetera, please our customers. And then do we have room inside of that to give our people flexibility and set parameters and boundaries around that so that we are really threading that needle between serving what the business needs and serving what our people want. And employers, unfortunately, aren't used to having, they aren't used to their employees having as much leverage as they've had the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so I had seen one study and they predicted that by 2025, all of these generational shifts post-pandemic will force at least 75% of major organizations to adapt and adopt hybrid work schedules and strategies. And Absolutely. Yeah. Can what's that what does that look like? So for 
because, you know, depending on who you are, if you're listening right now and you think of, I think of, um, you know, cops, firefighters, teachers, nurses, doctors, I mean, they, they don't have the luxury of even considering that. But for those people who would, who would want this flexible schedule, what does a hybrid schedule look like? You know, so back when there was start to be the first rumblings of come back to the office, employers started doing things that they thought would get people back in the office, like Taco Tuesday, everybody. <laughs> but people said, you know, I'm sorry, but it's not worth an hour or two hour round trip commute for free tacos. And so they, they started with these novel things to get people in the office. But Gen Z and young millennials said, oh, yeah, sorry, that that's smoke and mirrors. And so smart organizations have gone to what they call culture days or collaboration days, where they might say every Tuesday and Wednesday, we want people in, but here's what we're doing. And it needs to be something that not only advances the company's agenda, but it also helps your people develop. Young people want career development. And we just developed and launched a product that put career development tools into the hands of your people because 94% of people say, I would stay if I saw career development and a path for myself. And so what's going to have to happen is employers are going to have to, if you think about the old way of leading top down, I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you when you're ready to move and to collaborative. So what you're going to have to do, if you if you want to, if you're looking to develop a workable hybrid solution at your workplace, the best thing you can do, and it's so obvious, yet it's so overlooked, is ask, actually ask your people to be a part of the solution. Ask for their input. Ask what matters to them. Ask them to be part of creating solutions that work for everybody. But you always have to keep your eye on the ball that we still have we still have to be productive. We still have to get our work done. And what can we do inside of what kind of flexibility and leeway do we have to still get our work done, but also give you the space to have the life you want? And as a leader, you don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to ask the questions and start listening. In fact, Dawn, interestingly, you mentioned police officers, nurses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There was a study done by Gallup who has the best body of workplace knowledge and they asked, they had a company that they were working with who had a lot of manufacturing workers. And you might look at them and say, well, they don't, they don't get to work from home. No, they don't. We all know that. But what they found was when you ask people who work, let's say, in a manufacturing environment for this example, when you actually ask them, they're smart enough. They know they can't do their work from home. But if you actually ask them, what is it that would make your work slash life more pleasant. And they did this in a manufacturing facility. How can we make your life better? And it was a small tweak to dress code is what they came up with. Really? And Yeah. Um, and they were able to do it. And so it's, I think sometimes we're so afraid to ask. And even if it is like you've got three shifts or two shifts and you're, you know, ask your people and maybe what you really want as an employee on the line is a little more flexibility. I bet you there's creative ways to come up with that, that because we get so stuck in the way things have always done, leaders are overlooking. And that's why I say the people who actually do the work, they're the ones with the good ideas. Yeah, I think, you know, I have friends who have managed to 
to leave, for example, New York City and move back home to Pennsylvania or New Jersey even. And because they're high performers, they're great at what they do, and they view the Zoom work as a perk because they're high performing. So I can see that if you're, if you are an amazing performer, you say to your boss, Hey, quality of life means something. I don't want to pay the high cost of commuting or living in, let's say, Manhattan. And I think that's why we're seeing this exodus, quite frankly, of people living in that, those expensive areas where they're in an apartment or whatever. And they, they can have a yard and a home and home value and a quality of life for their kids that they could not have. And so I, I see that as a lot of high-performing people saying, hey, this is a perk that I'm not willing to give up, and I'm willing to leave this job and mm-hmm. go to another employer, and that's the free marketplace. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And it's true. The, the, more, you are, the more you are valued where you work, the more leverage you have, period. If you are an average performer and you decide you're going to leave or threaten to leave if you don't get to work hybrid, just be prepared for your employer to say, okie dokes, good luck to you. Yeah. And so if, and, and so here's, you know, as, as an employer, it's okay if you have different rules for different people. And not in a discriminatory way, but if someone proves to you or they've proven to you in the last few years they aren't effective working from home and you can back that up with their productivity numbers, then you can deny them that ability to work from home. You know, so, you know, I, I think it's, we get so afraid. I mean, I think back in the eighties and nineties when I was in human resources, when the thing coming up was casual Fridays mm-hmm. and senior leadership was so nervous about it. And the first time somebody came in in, what they picked up off the floor that was in a pile in the corner, senior leadership's first response was, I knew they couldn't handle it. Take it away. It's like, no, 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 no. This person couldn't handle it. Don't take it away from everybody else. And so you, I think leader, good leadership and good management is being able to navigate the gray area instead of, nope, sorry, that's the policy. And then you lose somebody who has proven over and over again they do not need to be micromanaged or babysat. Micromanage the ones who need it. Leave your good performers alone mm-hmm. and let them keep being good performers. And that's those are the people you'll keep. The harder you push, the harder you try to make everything top down, you will lose your best people. Yeah. Your 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 mediocre and low performers will not go look for anything else because they're happy being mediocre where they are. And so you have to be really, really careful when you implement all of these policies that we're talking about to get people's input. People commit to what they're a part of creating. And that's the power of collaboration and asking for people's input. If you just try to jam something down on people, they'll cross their arms and sit back and try to find ways that that you're wrong and then it's not going to work. Well, Julie Bauke, thank you. Um, Just brilliant analysis of today's workplace and Julie's the founder and chief career strategist with the Bauke Group. And so I know you're helping people find their, you know, career dream jobs. You know, we talk about the younger generations, but who are you, who turns to you most or to your, to the Bauke Group, in other words, for some career 
strategy or reinventing themselves. People, the millennials, the 40-ish or 50-ish, 60, I'm seeing, you know, people in their mid-60s, even 70, yeah. reinventing themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. We say we tried to work with people right out of college who didn't have, who hadn't had their first job yet, but it was an exercise in frustration because they, uh, we just sounded like their mom and dad. And <laughs> what we've learned, yeah, and it was like, it was just really hard. What we learned is that for people to really listen and take direction, take coaching, they have to at least had one job of at least two to three years. And if they've hit their head along the way or failed or they'll be ready to listen and ready to learn. And so we, you know, probably late 20s all the way through 60s. But what we've done recently because of the new workforce is we've created programs to be utilized inside of companies to give your people the tools to manage their careers right where they are so they won't quit because that's what we were getting asked for. Okay. And, you know, yeah, so it's, it's pretty exciting. It's a new way of looking at how do you attract and retain people because people want, in a lot of cases, they want to stay. Yeah. But if you're not giving them the tools to advocate for themselves and to build their career and tell their story and build relationships and do all the things that are necessary for career growth, they will stay. And what they're doing is they're looking at their manager to do it for them. And we tell people, look, your manager is not your career mommy or your career daddy. <laughs> In fact, they can barely manage their own careers with all their responsibilities. And so we, and so it's a really great way to turn to Gen Z and go, okay, go through this program and then come out with your career plan draft and come talk to us about what you want to do more of. Nice. But don't, you know, don't just keep coming to me with, um, you know, with, with the self-knowledge piece. I was just talking to a millennial recently who's got some Gen Z's working for him and he's a very young millennial and he's frustrated by Gen Z. He said there, when can I get promoted? When can I get promoted? <laughs> and that's all they're asking. And you can say to them, well, here are the 10 things you need to do to get promoted. Are you doing all of them? Yes. He's like, they're clearly not. <laughs> they don't have the self-awareness. Yeah. And so what we tried to do was create a program that would help them get that, that it says, you know, here's my great value. And it's not just about getting promoted. It's about creating a path that feels that's useful to you and prepares you to help meet the needs of the organization, because that's, if you don't add value to your organization, then you will be on the layoff list. Yeah. And that I don't care what kind of GPA you had. That's just the way the world works. And we all and I think those of us who've been around for a while absolutely know that. Yeah. It's so true. Julie Bauke, until next time. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thanks, Don. <laughs> all star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.